Glad you guys are here. Super excited to hop into God's Word tonight. We're going we're gonna to start off a little different. I'm going to invite um, Kate up here. She's actually going to read us through our text. So if you guys want to open up to Genesis 26, we're going to be reading 1 through 25. Already. Okay, Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of, the, of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, My wife. Thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of his father, of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of, of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over the, that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply you, your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Cool. Thanks, Kate. Sweet. So, as you guys, many of you guys may know, 
um, we are taking like three weeks to talk about a series we call Old Testament Stories. Um, the goal in all of this is that we want to familiarize you guys with the Old Testament, um, parts of Scripture that maybe you just haven't like taken the time or had like an opportunity to dive into. And so the, this three weeks of this Old Testament, we're, we're teaching through what um, the Bible calls as the patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which are the first people in the lineage of God's people, right? Um, last week, Blue, and, um, Blue talked about Abraham and how Abraham was called by God from a land that he wasn't from. He comes to this land, and we actually find ourselves in Genesis, which is the first book, Genesis 15. Um, and we see through that that there's a promise that God makes that he's going to create and build up a mighty nation for Abraham. Also inside that promise, right, it's pointing to God who is working and not us, right? That obedience is not what produces faith, but pay, faith that is, the, is what produces obedience in our lives, right? And, our, and Abraham's life calls us to trust him, which is, which is the goal of this series, right? We, we look to the Old Testament, we look to the stories because there's things in them that call us in our, how we should approach and love and look towards God in situations that we have not walked through. So as we, as we continue down the line, um, we find ourselves today or tonight in the story of Isaac. Now, it, Isaac's a really interesting character because if you look in Scripture, Isaac is kind of like the forgotten child in a lot of ways, right? It, there's only one chapter in all of Genesis that actually is about, like, Isaac being the main character, right? The stories before him, he's not the main character, and, all the, and both stories afterwards, he's not, the, like, the main character, but we, we find ourselves tonight in Genesis 26, kind of what Kate read. Um, this is the main text about it, Isaac and his life. But what I want to do tonight, what I, before we get to, like, we really dive into this text, what I, I think there's a beauty of walking through, because it's so short, all that happened that we know of in Isaac's life. So this, this is my goal tonight. I want to walk through four stories about what Isaac has walked through in his life, with the main point being this. Jesus is with us as we follow after him, even in our sin. So as we read, we'll start here in Genesis 26, 1 through 5. It says this, it says, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, the land that Abraham was called to. Um, and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and laws. So we see, right, the context that's happening in the story. Isaac's in the middle of this famine, which it's very clear that they're trying to distinguish time that has happened, that this famine has happened again. Um, it is, there was a famine in Abraham's time. There's now a famine in Isaac's time. <clears throat> and it, but it's interesting here, right? All we see through the life of Abraham is being called, where right now we, Isaac is being called to stay. So Isaac is called to stay in this land. And I mean, I, I can kind of, I mean, we can kind of make sense of that, right? Like back then there wasn't, accessible water or food. And so the idea of a famine meant that there's probably, your family's going to probably die. They'll starve. There's nothing there. And so he, his mindset is, well, maybe if we go to Egypt, right, which is decently close, but decently far, maybe the, maybe the famine is less there. And so, of course, it makes sense that Isaac has a desire to go somewhere to provide and be for his family. 
But in this, we see God very clearly say, he says, Isaac, stay. There's a very clear call for Isaac to stay in the land that he's living in. Um, But there's also a promise, right? He doesn't just say, hey, stay and move on. He says, hey, stay. Because the land that you're staying, that you're living in, and I will bless it and I will multiply your descendants. What's interesting about this promise of staying in the land and seeing things is it's actually the same promise that we see that was given to Abraham. So right, last week, Blue brought this up um, in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? They sound super similar. And actually, they, there's a lot of things that come across. But what I want us to key on is, is in both promises, in Abraham and in Isaac, there's this one f- key phrase that is kept, that's said over and over. It's the phrase, I will. Over and over and over, God says to Abraham, I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. And then he comes to Isaac and says the exact same thing. I will do this. I will do that. Because the thing that God is really stressing is that he is the one who is doing and he's working and he's moving. But what I find really interesting of the, situ- of the different promises is this, is that here in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham, Isaac's father, Abraham has never had a conversation with God, at least as far as we can tell. That he, he's wandering, he's probably worshiping other gods, there's other things in his life, and God comes to Abraham and says, go to another land, I will provide for you. There's no relationship, there's no trust, there's nothing that's happening other than Abraham has been called by God to go. And now we fast forward to this promise in the life of Isaac, and we see actually a different story. Isaac has had a relationship with God. Isaac knows who God is. There is a stream of trust that has been built in the relationship between Isaac and God. And I actually want to start, as I said, I want to walk through four stories, and I want to walk through two of them before we get to this promise, because I think they're really important about the life of Isaac. God has provided, and he's provided in these ways. The first one is this. So if you, if, you, if you flip back and you go to Genesis chapter 22, there's this story. Again, remember, Isaac is not always the key figure, even though he's in the story. So Isaac, so Genesis 22 happens. His father is sitting there. God goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I need you to go up. I need you to go to Mount Moriah, and I need you to sacrifice your only son. Right. Now, if, now if you just get your mind running, like, okay, Abraham has one son, He's, there's a promise that he's going to have a line after him to make a great nation, and God has just commanded Abraham, go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son. And he's the only son. Every promise was supposed to be fulfilled through Isaac. Right? And just think of this. Like Abraham was old when he had Isaac. Abraham was over 100 years old when Isaac was finally born. And now I can't even imagine to think like for him to process through, like, okay, if I, if I kill my only son... Like, I'm even older. How am I going to have another son? Like, God, this doesn't make sense, right? I can't imagine the questions that were funneling through Abraham's, Abraham's mind as he's thinking about this. But without doubt or without question that we see is Abraham goes. Abraham gets up and he takes his son Isaac and they, they, move, they go to Mount Moriah with two other servants and they make this journey and this trek. And they get to the base of Mount Moriah and Abraham looks at the servants and he goes, hey, you two stay here. Me and Isaac are going to go worship God. 
So Abraham takes, takes the wood and he puts it on the back of Isaac and he, he takes the fire and he takes the things to light it and they start walking up this mountain on this journey. And what we see that there's a conversation that happens between Isaac and his father. Isaac asks Abraham, he says, Father, where is the sacrifice? Right, Isaac is like, like Abraham said, we're gonna go sacrifice to our God and they know nothing else about it. And Isaac looks at him and goes like, where the heck's the sacrifice? And as they're walking, Abraham looks at him and says, God will provide. And they keep walking and they keep walking. They finally get to the top and they begin to build the altar and all these things. Like the altar is built and the sacrifice is time to come. And Abraham looks at his son and he bounds him up. Now, for some of you guys that maybe grew up in the church, what I find, like, like I asked a few people this and like, I got around the same thing. When you think of Isaac, you think of him as like a little boy, right? Like he's a 12 or 13 year old boy. And I always thought that Abraham probably was like so anguished. Like I, I got to tie up my little boy and I got to put him on this altar. And he's just so young and little. But I've actually really was, it was really interesting as I was studying this text. I was actually, my view of Isaac was actually really incorrect. It's actually believed that Isaac was around 30 years old. And it's also believed that Isaac most likely on the journey up to this mountain because his father was so old, carried his father to the top of the mountain. Like, this is not a boy. This is a full-grown man. Which then begs the question, like, I, I, I don't think Isaac, like, Abraham could bound up a 30-year, like his son. Like, I, I think, like, in my life, like, I'm, almost, I'm 28, I'm almost 30, and I'm sitting here, and I'm like, okay, like, I, I, like for myself, I was like thinking through this, I was like, man, if my dad tried to bound me up, there, there, he may be able to do it. Like he's, he's in his 60s, but he's like, he's an in-shape guy. I was like, I could see that. But like, what if my grandpa tried to bound me up, right? Like my grandpa, when he, like he's no longer alive, but when he was alive, he was 90 years old. There's no way, like I'm not, not necessarily I'm that strong or anything, but I think I could take my 90-year-old grandpa, right? Like, like you guys could probably feel the same. Like, yeah, they're old. You just like push them over. Right? Like, it's not, it's not hard. But that, that's exactly what's happening here. Like, you got to think, like, Abraham is close to 130 years old, plus, And his 30-year-old son is standing there. And I've had this text wrong so long that, in my mind, I was like, Abraham probably fought him and held him down. But there's no possible way. That means he had to look at his son and say, son, I need to bound you up. I have to sacrifice you. And Isaac looks at him and honors him and lets him. This is a 30-year-old man who doesn't know if he's going to make it past today. He says, I need to honor my father. And so he's bound up and he's put on this altar. He willingly let it happen. He's bound up on the altar and Abraham goes to him and he picks up his knife and he's about to kill his own son, the the, the son of promise, all these things. And right before he does it, um, we have it on the screen. In verse 10, it says this in chapter 2, then Abraham reached out of his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham called the Lord of this, um, called the name of this place, the Lord will provide, as it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
right? The Lord provided. Isaac, in this moment, all he knew is that he, Isaac, I may die. And the Lord provided. The Lord provided and knew that Isaac would not die tonight, that day. God, Isaac sees the Lord's provision. And then we flip the page. We flip to two, ch- or two chapters later. There's another story, right? Isaac's even older now. I, Isaac is, pro- we don't really know necessarily the age, but he must be well older. Abraham is getting to the age that he's like, I'm actually going to die now. I don't know how at 130, you're not thinking that. But later on in his life, um, I, Abraham's sitting there going like, man, I'm about to die. And Isaac has no wife. Again, the promise of God, where is it at? And so he goes to his servant and he says, he says, do not let Isaac marry any of the women around here. These were, right, and you got to understand these were Canaanite women, um, which the Canaanites worshipped other gods. They served other gods. They, most likely in Abraham's mind, he says, if Isaac marries one of these women, he most likely will be tempted to stray from the God that I worship. So he goes to his servant and says, do not let Isaac marry anyone here. What I need you to do is I need you to go back to my homeland, back to Mesopotamia, and I need you to find a wife of my family, and I need you to bring her back to Isaac. And so the servant, he, he hears this and he says, of course, um, he, of course, Abraham, I will go and do this for you. And so the, the, the servant takes 10 camels and they make this journey back to Mesopotamia, which would have been probably a few months or so long with all this stuff. And so they come to the, to the land of Ur, where Abraham is from, and they're approaching this city. And when they, when they get into the city, there's a, the servant comes and he stops and in his, in his heart he prays to his God, please provide a wife for my, for my, he says, my Lord Isaac. He says, Lord, to know that it's true, when I ask someone of water, will they give it to me? And while I'm drinking, will they then offer to water my 10 camels? And it's, before he's even done praying is what scripture says, there's a, Rebecca enters the scene. Rebecca comes up and she, and she pulls up water and the servant runs to her and says, please, can I have some water? And she hands it to him. And while he's drinking, she goes, she goes, sir, let me please water your camels as well. And so Rebecca waters these camels and the servant knows, he goes, man, God has provided for the prayer that I have. And so the man comes up and he asks her, who are you, who are you? And she, she, she lays out her lineage that is the same direct lineage of Abraham as they move up the line. And he says, he starts talking to her and he gives her these jewelries and he's like, who, can I please be, like, like all this about her family? And then she goes, which is a very common thing, she says, why don't you bring your animals and stay at my house tonight with my family? Well, there's fodder and there's grass, which is completely normal in this time to invite like travelers into your home for a night to, to love and care and let them rest inside of things. So she takes them home and she shares with her family all that has happened and um, her brother and her father come and meet this servant and he shares all that's happened. That, that his, his, his uh, master Abraham has sent him and, he's, and all these things about God and, the, and, fa- and his father and her brother Laban and Bethuel, they look at him and say, well, this is the plan of God. We'll have to let her go. And so eventually through conversation, Rebecca heads back to, with, with the servant back to the land of Canaan where Isaac and Abraham are. And there's a scene where they're walking up and Isaac's in the field. We're not really sure if Isaac knows, but he looks up and he sees the servant. And so he starts to make his approach to them to see what's going on. And while he's coming near, Rebecca looks at the servant and goes, who is that? And he goes, that is my master Isaac. And she realizes this is the man she's to marry. And so she, she covers up her face because that's the tradition of these times with marriage. And Isaac comes up and talks to the servant and the servant shares everything that happened. And he looks at Rebecca and they, he takes her and they become man and wife. 
And then in their marriage, they have two twin boys, Esau and Jacob. God provides. God provided what Isaac needed. The promise that he was promise that was given to Abraham to build a, a nation was finally fulfilled in some manner, right? Well, when, when we're sitting here about the, the main story in Isaac, about Isaac in Genesis 26, all Isaac can think of are whispers of provision. God provided a sacrifice. God provided not only a wife, but two sons. The promise his family would be provided during the famine and while they're in the land is remembered in the land that was provided on the top of Mount Moriah. The promise God gives to multiply his descendants can be seen to come true as he looks as his twin boys. Isaac can look at what God has done and believe. The status that God says, I will, all Isaac says is true. Right? Abraham was called with no relationship that we know of God, but Isaac has this deep relationship where he's seen God meet his needs and care and love for him. And this promise is given that I, I will do all these things. Right, so Isaac and Rebecca travel in this land after this promise here that, we, that um, Kate started off with us reading. Um, and they settle in the land that this man Abimelech controls and is in charge of. And what I find really interesting is you would think that all these promises happen and Isaac just goes like, I'm just going to trust God. Anything that comes along, I'm going to trust that God will provide. And isn't it so funny that that's the, that's the first thing that he does after God makes this promise is he does exactly the opposite. They walk into this land with Abimelech and he looks to Rebecca and he says, he says, he says I'm going to tell everyone that you're my sister because of your great beauty. If I tell them, that you're, my, if I tell them you're my wife, you, they may kill me and take the thing is, is, Isaac really, in this moment, like it sounds a little weird, but the thing is, is, Isaac has just greatly sinned against his own wife. He's pretty much taken his wife and thrown her out to the wolves because the thing is, in this culture, you have to understand is that what, most, what can happen very easily for a woman is if a man sees her and she's not married, all he has to do is go and take her and sleep with her and then she is his wife now. She had no protection. She had no rights and all Isaac did was push her out and say, take care of yourself because I want to live. Right? This doesn't sound like the guy who, look, who was saved from being sacrificed by, by God providing a lamb. This doesn't seem like the same guy who's probably questioning about this promise of lineage. And Rebecca comes from this far off land and meets him and they have this, these two boys that would then keep the lineage going. This doesn't sound like that. He sounds scared and he sounds worried and he's... All he cares about is he'd rather trust himself than trust what God has promised. Luckily, the Lord was gracious. And one day what we see from what Kate read was like in Genesis 26 is that Abimelech and some Philistines were looking and they saw Isaac and Rebekah laughing together. And there was a realization in his heart that they are husband and wife and not brother and sister. So Abimelech confronts Isaac and says this um, in verse 9 through 11. It says, so Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold... She is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought least I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have laid, lain slept with your wife and you would have brought a guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. 
After seeing God, after being reminded of all that God has done, and to, to remember and to understand what has happened, the first thing that Isaac does is he goes and he trusts himself. He doesn't run to God or consider all the things that have been promised and done. He decides to trust himself, his doing, and his ways. And what I find really interesting is often we look at Old Testament stories and go, what idiots, right? It's really easy to look at the Old Testament and go, man, these guys are dumb. But what I find really interesting is this, is that we are just like Isaac in many ways. How easy is it for us that we walk through life and we just trust in ourselves? Maybe you forgot what God has done for you before. You forget that he was promised to take care of you. I think I, I, my mind went straight to this. this is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Jesus says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the non-believers, sink after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Right, Jesus comes, and in this moment in Matthew, he promises, says, do not be anxious, I'll provide for you. Don't, don't worry about what you wear, what you eat, or what you drink, about all these, right? It's more than that. He's trying to get to his understanding. It's like, don't just worry and be anxious about the day in and day out. I am in control. I'm doing, and I'm working, and I'm providing. And let's be really honest. Most of us in this room probably had some form of anxiety today, right? And maybe not, like, I'm not talking about, like, maybe if there's, like, clinical anxiety or things like that, but, like, most of us, many of us probably have had some sort of anxious thought, I mean, I was writing this sermon, and this afternoon I had, I, I went through, like, I was going through a little time, like, for about an hour, so just anxiety, and I was, like, worrying about things in my life, and, I, and then I come back to this, and I go, like, well, I'm, exact, I'm preaching exactly who I am. Man, but how many of us, we hear the promise of God, says, don't be anxious, I'll provide for you, and we, we live our lives anxious, trusting that we have to provide for ourselves. The promises of God are amazing until we face them with real life. Now, I don't say these things so that you get, like, beat up and, like, man, I suck, because it's really easy to get there. Because I'm in the same boat as you guys as I struggle with this and other promises that the Lord has given. And I, and I love to know and believe and hear the, the promises of God, but far too often I step in the world and those promises seem far away and distant. Here's the truth, that we're just fickle people. Our emotions, our loves, our desires, they're just all over the place. They're high and they're low. But the beauty, this is the beauty of the story of Isaac. This is why the focus is not about Isaac. None of the Bible is about any character. The thing is, it's why God is very clear. He says, I will. Because it's not about Isaac doing anything that God says, I will provide. 
Like Isaac doesn't have, he doesn't say, hey, I'll provide if you do this, 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 and this, and then I'll provide. He goes, no, I will take care of you. I will bless you. End of story, period, done. Too often we, we walk our lives thinking that we have to do something to work up the ladder to God, to be good enough. Maybe I need to read my Bible every day and if I'm off, I'm wrong. If I don't pray good enough, if I don't talk right enough, if I don't act right enough, God in some capacity is not going to be as close and as near and loving and promise giving as, as before. And we believe that because I know because I struggle with you as you're sitting here going like, man, I do this so often. Like, man, I messed up today. I need to do better. And God says, no, I don't need you to do better. I need you to come closer. I need you to understand that it's not about how hard you work to get to me, that I, I'm trying to draw you near because I love you. That's the point of what the story of Isaac, that's the point that Jesus is, is we're trying to get to here. Because the thing is, if, if God, all he wants is your right actions, Isaac was done for, right? At this point, God says, you're done, Isaac, I'm finished with you. But right after Isaac has sinned and put his wife off, he, God leads them out and he, he provides a well Right? Remember, there's a famine going on, and he finds a well that has water, and he has a place for land, and he has peace from any enemies, and there's unity that's among him. And God comes back to him and re-promises what he just says. I will bless you, and I'll take care of you. It, it's so clear that God's heart is not fickle, but faithful. He's keeping you. He's providing for you. He's taking care of you. And we can believe that just because we sin, just because we fall short, that God's promise of provision still happens. Isaac's promise of provision still took place. We still know that you can trace the lineage of Abraham all through his people, and Isaac's one of them. He's faithful to your promises, right? And you can see that through the life that um, the life of Isaac, that God is present. He's there. You can trust him. You can believe that he will take care of his people. He isn't far off, but near. If you're here this tonight and you're like, man, I, I just feel like God's distance. I can promise you he's not. I, I, I know the feeling, of, the feeling that God is far away, but I can promise you the truth is that God is near. And he's near to those who place their faith in him. So, I, man, I, I'd say tonight, maybe some of you are in here and you're like, man, these promises, these things sound good. If God is this God who's so good and he takes care of and all these things and I want him near, I, all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus and he's there. Surrender your life to Jesus because he's good and he cares for you. We can also trust that our, in our failings, we don't, he doesn't give up. Your, your mess-ups don't stop God. They do not make God turn and run. Don't think just because you failed you have, or, or, and you have sinned that you have not trusted in him that he is done. Know that God is working and will continue to provide for you. Just like Isaac, continue to pursue God even when you fail. Because the truth is, is you will. You will fail. You will sin. And God's inviting you saying, come back. But it doesn't end there, right? That's not the beauty of Isaac is that, hey, we get a God who, who was, who has said he's near. We don't, we don't just get to talk about this, this idea that God is near. We get to see the beautiful picture of it. The promise that everything that Isaac had was perfected in Jesus. Because look at this. Wasn't Jesus the one who carried a heavy burden across up a hill? Wasn't it Jesus that let himself be bound 
for no other reason than his father said, it's time to be bound, and he hung up on a cross. Wasn't it Jesus that said, sacrifice me, because they can't do it on their own? Jesus is the better Isaac. Jesus did everything that Isaac couldn't do. He, he was nailed on a cross for a sacrifice to say, I will take it. Isn't he the better Isaac? Isn't he instead of someone having to go get him and coming back, just like Rebecca, he came to us. He left his home in heaven. He left his homeland and said, I will be with them because I am the fulfiller of the promises. We do not look at Isaac and say, man, God is so good. We look to Jesus and say, Jesus did everything that Isaac couldn't. Like God doesn't just promise you that he's near. He, he does it. He sent his own son. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you non-believers in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what was called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to Christ in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Please hear me tonight. Isaac had to believe in a God that he never saw outside of working. There was no physical act. There was no nothing. We get to sit here today and we get to hope and trust in a God who physically came to earth and did all the things to save us. Isaac had a hope that Jesus would one day come and forgive his sins. We get to look back and say, Jesus is our Savior. He's good, he has come, he has died, and he has come to show us that he is near and he loves us. The promise that Isaac received that God is with you is the same promise we have today. Jesus is with us. He is near and he loves us, and even in the midst of your sin, do not turn away. He's forgiven and he has called and he has brought you back. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for tonight and just the beauty of the story of Isaac. Um, Lord, that, yeah, we don't read the Old Testament just to be stories and things of that nature, but they point to you. They point to the better of it all. And Lord Jesus, I pray for us in this room that we would not run after our own trust and our own abilities, but we would rest and believe the promises of you, even when the world tells us differently. Father, I just pray that we would come to you with open hearts, even when we failed, even when we've fallen short. So Lord, work and move as only you can. It's in your name we pray. Amen.